again, thank you to the rest of you. Can you all hear me? We're good. Okay. Um, For having me here this morning. As Ken alluded to, my position here at Bethany is sort of touches all locations, though this is my first time at Eastside. So it's a privilege to be with you. It's always fun to get to places I haven't been uh, yet. So thank you for having me. And as Ken uh, referenced, we're going to be looking this morning at the life of Deborah. And this is uh, some of what's said about Deborah. So we'll just kind of get this at the outset here. Hers was a brilliant career because of a heart that was fixed on God. In modern terms, she was the president, the pope, and Rambo of ancient Israel, who went out to fight the Lord's battles with a psalm on her lips and a sword in her hand. So this is Deborah. Uh, Let's first pause uh, and pray together before we open the scriptures and see what does the life of Deborah have to teach all of us in the room about the various roles that we occupy, be it our gender, be it in our career, be it in our work, um, or in our families. So let's pray together, and then we'll look at Deborah. God, we're grateful for the gift that it is to be with you here and the safety of these walls this morning to listen for your voice. God, we recognize the privilege that it is to worship you, Uh, and to be here in safety and community with one another, listening for your voice. We pray, God, that you would minister to our hearts now, making us ever more aware of your presence in our day-to-day lives, the work that you're doing in the world around us. May we ever more become people of justice in this world as you minister to us even now in these moments together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you've got an outline there in your bulletin. uh, Three points that we're going to be looking at through the lens of Deborah. First, that faith emboldens leadership. Second, faith-rooted leadership has kingdom consequences. And God's kingdom, finally, will bring justice for the oppressed. So the story of Deborah comes to us in Judges chapters 4 and 5. You heard a lot of chapter 4 read for us this morning, and that is told in narrative fashion. So we're hearing about Deborah, the events surrounding her life in the Bible, in a narrative type of way in Judges 4. Then in Judges 5, we get the song of Deborah. And this is sort of poetic retelling of those events that happened in Judges 4 via song written by Deborah. Okay? You following me? Great. So uh, before we get into Deborah, let's first set the stage um, and look a little bit more at the context. So Judges 4, 1 to 3, we see that Israel has been under the oppression of the Canaanites for 20 years for its disobedience to God. Okay? And then this is sort of in tandem with a pattern that we see all throughout the book of Judges where we move from disobedience to judgment to deliverance. Okay, so in the current context, uh, Israel's been under the oppression of the Canaanites for 20 years. This is following 80 years of peace, disobedience, and now again oppression. Okay, so it's within this context, 20 years of oppression, that Deborah shows up on the scene. So uh, Deborah in verse 4 is presented in this way. At this time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. So when you all think about a judge or a prophetess, do you have like the perfect image of what that is in your head? I don't. Like those are not terms that are familiar to us in our context today. So I did some digging, and I found that uh, theologian Scott McKnight has uh, an explanation of the role that Deborah assumed 
in the context of Israel at that time in more modern terms. So McKnight writes uh, about Deborah in this way. And again, for a little context, he's writing a book called The Blue Parakeet where he looks at the role of women, neither from sort of a liberal agenda or a conservative agenda, but simply to say, what do women do in the Bible? So he writes this of Deborah. If we ask, what did women do? And we ask this question of Deborah, we learn that women could speak for God as a prophet, render decisions in a court of law as a judge, exercise leadership over the entire spiritual, social Israel, and be a military commander who brought Israel to victory. To use other terms, she led the nation spiritually, musically, legally, politically, and militarily. Deborah was a woman leader of the entire people of God. So, women in leadership, socially, politically, spiritually, Deborah is an example where the answer is a resounding Yes. Amen? That is, it's critical for us in the church today, and we're going to see this more this morning, for us to claim that. That's not always been the case. So Deborah is a biblical example of a woman who's occupying the highest level of leadership, spiritually, politically, socially, in the context of ancient Israel. Now, um, We'll see in a moment, though, that it was the faith and the boldness of Deborah that ultimately set her apart. So yes, she's a female leader. Yes, she was a leader um, uh, in all of those different realms. But it was her confidence in the Lord, it was her faith in the Lord that uniquely set her apart in her leadership over Israel. So um, let's get back to the story. In addition to Deborah, there's some other characters that we need to become familiar with. These names are not ones that we often hear about. So I'm going to say these to you now, and let's try to hold those in our head, and we're going to be referencing them throughout. So first we have, obviously, Deborah. Then we have Barak, who's the military commander of the Israelites. Okay? So Deborah's ruling over all of Israel. Underneath Deborah is Barak. Barak is commander of the, of the Israelite army. And then we have this guy, Sisera, who's the commander of the Canaanite army. And again, the Canaanites have been ruling over oppressing Israel for 20 years now. Okay, so we've got Barak, we've got Sisera, and then finally we have a woman named Jael. And we're going to get a little bit more into her in a bit, but hold that name Jael with you. Um, in Judges 4-6, we see that in response to Israel's cry for help to be freed from Canaanite oppression, Deborah calls upon Barak. And uh, she says to Barak, gather 10,000 men, march into battle against Sisera. Okay, Sisera and his army far outnumbers that of Israel. And the uh, icing on the cake is they have 900 iron chariots, uh, which is kind of a high level of military power at the time. And Deborah will, verse 7, give them into your hands. So she's saying, Barak, go into army, outnumbered, outarmed, and I will give them, the Canaanites, into your hands. I will, you will have victory over them. Okay? So I'm trying to picture this. Uh, it's a little bit hard to imagine, like, iron chariots. What exactly is that? So the image that comes to mind for me is Star Wars Episode Six. Uh, the, uh, and and it, as Star Wars fans in the room? Anybody? Okay. Me too. So you've got, right, the Imperial Army come descending upon the Rebel Alliance. They've got ATT walkers, stormtroopers, all that good stuff. And what does the Rebel Alliance have in response? Anybody? Care Bears. Ewoks. That's what they have. Little tiny bears with rocks and stones and sticks. This is what they're going to try to fight off the bad guys with. Okay, so this is kind of the situation that we have here. So, what is Barak, commander of the Israelites' army's response? 
Verse 8, if you will go with me, I will go, he says to Deborah, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. So here's Barak, the commander of the Israelite army, saying, I'm afraid. And rightfully so, right? Outnumbered, outarmed. So he looks to Deborah here for confidence. And it's Deborah's faith in the Lord to deliver Israel that gives him the confidence he needs to say, yes, I will in fact go into battle. And how many of us would you say could relate to that at some level? Where we, where we were given a task or we had something ahead of us that we thought we can't do and it was someone else's confidence, perhaps someone who believed in us, that gave us the confidence that we needed to pursue or to continue on. Um, I know for me that there's countless stories of this being true in my life. But one story specifically really stuck out to me as I was reflecting on this. Um, and uh, this has to do with my wife, Macy, who's sitting here in the front. Um, I used to work for a mission organization called Merge throughout a lot of different parts of Central and South America. And so I traveled to a lot of different countries. This had been a significant part of my life. So when Macy and I started dating, I thought to myself, what a better thing than to get to show off all the amazing ministry that I'd been a part of. Um, so it had been a dream of mine that my to-be wife, we'd just gotten engaged, we would travel together to uh, Latin America and she would get to experience a bit of this with me. So sure enough, we did. We arranged to go down to Ecuador where I'd spent some significant time and I had two goals. First goal was she would get to see me in action. Like, this is going to be Nathan and his ministry element. Second goal was uh, for her to experience a bit of a place that had had a significant impact on me for another reason. And that was just a couple years prior. Uh, when I was in Ecuador, I was working with a mission team that was partnering with a church in an Amazon uh, region of the country. And um, there was a traumatic experience that happened. One of the members of the team, a, a young boy, drowned in a river. And I was part of a sort of rescue attempt to prevent this from happening. was not successful. I myself nearly drowned in the process. So as you can imagine, this is an extraordinarily traumatic experience for me in my life. And so I was thinking, if Macy's signing up to marry me, she better at some level uh, understand the significance of this event. So I thought in coming to Ecuador, she might get a little bit of a better taste of that. So, fast forward, we're in Ecuador, um, Macy and I are with this group, we're sort of uh, one day out in the field, we're walking along the side of, uh, it, was, it was barely a river, it was a creek, and uh, it just came upon me at that moment where I started having flashbacks from this uh, traumatic drowning experience that had happened a couple years prior, and I was rendered almost completely incapacitated for the rest of the day, um, and so I'm supposed to be leading this mission group, uh, and it wasn't going to be possible. And so I had to go back to my room and some different things. And anyway, Macy ended up being the one to lead all the events the rest of that day. She pretty much had led the rest of the trip at that point. And uh, she was also absolutely the presence that I needed um, to make it through that really difficult time. So I realized in that moment that I was not so much the one leading Macy through this ministry experience, sort of showing off the things that I'd been a part of, but she was leading me. And she was the confidence that I needed for, uh, to persevere in that challenging time. So uh, Macy is my modern-day Deborah, I guess you could say. Um, so let's uh, revisit the story here. Barak asked Deborah to go into battle with him. So how does Deborah respond to Barak? Verse 9, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera, again, Sisera is the commander of the Canaanite army, 
will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So the second half of Deborah's response here, we're going to come back to in a moment. It's this foreshadowing of events to come. But what I want us to catch uh, this morning is that it's Deborah's faith in the Lord, her confidence that he would be the one to deliver Israel, that gave uh, 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 Barak the confidence he needed to then be able to say yes and to move forward. Okay, so it's her faith-infused leadership that gave the boldness necessary to follow up God's plan in this context. So, military, political, social leader, yes. Deborah's all of those things, but it was, again, her unique relationship with the Lord and her faith in Christ to deliver that set her apart. And this brings us to our second point, which is faith-rooted leadership has kingdom consequences. So as we continue in the story, um, we're going to see you know, Barak now, he's said yes, he's heading into battle, Deborah at his side. Verse 14, Deborah says to Barak, get up, this is the day. The Lord is indeed going to go out before you. So picture this, like, has anyone seen Wonder Woman before, the movie? Okay, that's okay, if you haven't, I'll set the scene for you. All right, so you've got... um, there's a scene where Wonder Woman's there. She's got her sort of band of justice fighters behind her who are all men, by the way. Um, she's the one woman in this scenario. And they're at the, uh, the, the military front. This is like a World War I scene. And like people have been bunkered down for months. And they get to this, the front. And they need to get to the other side to kill some bad guy. And the way that they're going to do that, uh, Wonder Woman decides, is they're going to charge. And everyone's thinking, you're insane. We've been bunkered down here for months. We can't do this. De- uh, Deborah. Wonder Woman stands up, charges on ahead, and then sure enough, everyone else follows, okay? So that kind of can give you maybe uh, a picture in your head. What happens here? Uh, God shows up, throws Sisera and his chariots and all his army into a quote-unquote panic, and it's at that time that Sisera flees, the entire Canaanite army is defeated, And then Deborah's song, this is uh, Judges chapter 5, remember I referenced her song, Um, she says it this way, the stars fought from heaven, from their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon, which is a river, swept them away, the onrushing torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. So commentators note that what is depicted here is the Lord's sort of orchestration of a natural disaster that uh, creates sort of a storm and wipes out the Canaanite army. So it's not this band of under-armed, outnumbered Israelites that ultimately defeats the Canaanites. Rather, it's God in sort of a supernatural way that creates this sort of storm and these different things and, boom, defeats the Canaanites, okay? But significantly, it's Deborah's faith in the Lord uh, and his deliverance that gave Barak and the rest of the Israelites the confidence they needed to head into battle to take the step that God asked of them for this deliverance to happen. So, of course, the story's not done yet. In the midst of the chaos of battle, Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army, fled. And so he ends up taking refuge in the tent of a woman named Jael, Okay, so jail's now entering the scene in a nearby town that had uh, peaceful relations with the Canaanites, or so Sisera thought. So uh, you can kind of think about it this way, like if you're, say, from San Francisco, and you're coming to Seattle and you think, uh, I like good coffee, I liked craft beer, um, you know, uh, we, there's water 
in both of our areas, like this is going to be a match. And then uh, as a San Franciscan, you uh, get in conversation with a Seattleite and you realize, oh, you're a 49ers fan. You're no longer welcome among us, right? Like this is what's happening here. So much to Sisera's surprise, uh, when he lays down to rest, Judges 4 verse 21, Jael took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. He was lying fast asleep from weariness and he died. Then verse 22, as Barak came in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, come and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there was Sisera, lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. So recall here uh, Deborah's words to Barak, which I referenced earlier. I will surely go with you, she said. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So here we see that prophecy by Deborah is fulfilled, and the woman whose hand he's delivered into is that of Jael. And then finally, the story ends this way, Judges 5.31, and the land had rest for 40 years. So what are we going to do with this violent text? Like this is a reality, right? The conclusion to this story brings up questions of all kinds. Things like, is jail justified in this violent act, driving a tent peg through this person's temple? Is that justified? What does this say about God and war? So this morning, we're going to uh, set aside a little time to address some of these questions. We're not going to be able to get to all of them, but that's the beauty of being a guest speaker. I get to come, drop those bombs, and just say, email Travis later if you have questions, right? So before we get deeper into jail, it's important to recognize here that it was God, first and foremost, who was faithful to the cries of Israel. When we look in, uh, from, the, from the perspective of the biblical narrative, at the outset, we have Israel crying out to God, saying, we are oppressed, deliver us. And the punctuation mark at the end of the story is what? God delivered Israel. Okay? So first and foremost, we have to recognize that in the midst of this super challenging, confusing text. And it was the faith-rooted leadership of Deborah that provided the confidence needed for Barak and the Israelites to march into battle and ultimately be delivered by the Lord. So God's kingdom which is characteristic of peace, right? These peace for 40 years that come at the conclusion is made a reality by the faithful leadership of Deborah. And this brings us to our last point this morning. God's kingdom brings justice for the oppressed. So it's here that we're going to revisit Jael's story a bit more and how she defeated Sisera. So buckle up, you ready? Um, Jael has been described historically as manipulative, and all of the negative connotations associated with a murderer. You may have heard sermons, there's been many sermons preached on jail in this kind of way. But in contrast to that perspective, Deborah herself praises jail in her song in Judges 5. She says this of jail, she's the most blessed of women, Judges 5.24. So I think Deborah's poetic and sort of ironic depiction that comes at the very end of her song gives us a helpful perspective for how we are to interpret jail, okay? So I'm going to read for you the end of her song here, and uh, note this is sort of uh, an ironic depiction of a new character, the mother of Sisera, okay, and and her sort of expectation for how things were going to end. The text says this, Out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera gazed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? 
She's asking this of Sisera. Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest ladies make answer. Indeed, she answers the question herself. Are they not uh, finding and dividing the spoil? A girl or two for every man. Spoil of dyed stuffs for Sisera. Spoil of dyed stuffs embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for my neck as spoil. So here, Deborah is describing a common scene, sort of a literary device used in ancient Israel of a woman gazing out a window. So the woman gazing out the window here is the mother of Sisera, and she has the expectation that her son, leader of the Canaanite army, is late in returning from battle because he's probably won the battle, and not only is he won, he's probably doing what is expected of men in battle at that time, which is ravaging the women of Israel. So at that time, battlefield rape was common. So the expectation was, that's what's going on here. Okay? So while this, uh, and uh, interestingly, Deborah contrasts this expected image of uh, Sisera with the reality that in fact, we know this already happened. The text already told us this. Sisera has been defeated. And he's not only been defeated uh, in that he's died, he's been defeated by a woman the very person that his mother expects he's abusing and taking advantage of, okay? So the expectation was Sisera's out there doing this nasty, horrible thing, but instead it's a woman herself, Jael, who's defeated Sisera, making, making this, uh, this rape, all this horrible thing not possible. So while this gruesome picture is not commonly depicted, like in our Sunday school coloring books, for example, I don't think your kids are like, you know, filling in the coloring scale for this in their Sunday school classrooms right now, it is in our Bible, and it requires that we look at it. And I think for us, it, it gives us a moment of pause to reflect uh, critically on the historic oppression of women uh, that's been not just in our society today, but throughout history. So I'm going to read for us now a quote from the number one best-selling book, Half the Sky. You may have heard of this. Uh, the book's title, Turning Oppression into Opportunity for Women Worldwide. And the authors tell the story of a young girl named Rath, who was a young girl in Thailand, uh, captured, sold into um, a brothel in Thailand, and then is able to escape, gets a microloan, uses that microloan to then start a, a shop, and, and that leads to all kinds of good consequences for her, for her family. So the author's reflecting on this sort of um, uh, re- redemptive, restorative story of wrath. They say this, While many of the stories of women's suffering are wrenching, keep in mind this central truth. Women aren't the problem, but the solution. The plight of girls is no more a tragedy than an opportunity. And I think this idea that they're presenting here is absolutely true in the case of jail. She not only defeats the commander of the Canaanite army, she defeats the impending abuse, the cultural norm of battlefield rape, and inevitable death for the women of Israel. It's Sisera, it's jail, excuse me, herself who defeats this impending death in this circumstance. And Deborah's song and the imagery of Jael as defeater of Sisera reminds us of God's justice for the oppressed in our midst as well. Deborah exercises her influence as the leader over all of Israel, right? Prophet and judge. To then elevate Jael as an empowered, to an empowered position of victory over the oppressor. So Jael is using her privilege, her opportunity uh, in that moment given to her by Deborah to defeat injustice. 
And I think that it's the faith-rooted leadership of Deborah that here has kingdom consequences, bringing both peace and justice to the land and justice to men and women in Israel. And it's Jael, a woman, who becomes the agent of justice for the women of Israel in that time. And in the same way that God called Deborah to defeat injustice through Jael, we are called to be influencers of justice in our world, in our context, to identify areas of, of injustice and be agents of transformation in those places. Uh, we cannot be passive onlookers to the oppression of girls in Thailand like Raph. We cannot go on um, being okay with the reality uh, that statistics show across the board men are occupying the highest levels of leadership both in and outside the church, making a disproportionate amount of money to women. We cannot go on passively being okay with this. If we do, we're equally as disillusioned as the mother of Sisera, who's waiting for this oppression to happen and doing nothing about it, gazing out the window as a passive onlooker. I think it's the testimony of Deborah that stands, in fact, in direct opposition to this kind of thinking. So notably in Hebrews now, we're going to skip to the New Testament 11, 32 to 34. Uh, the text highlights the quote-unquote heroes of Israel. Okay, so commonly in your Bible, if you look this up, there's going to be a subtitle there that says heroes of Israel. And we see under this text, Barak, remember the, the, the commander of the Israelite army, mentioned for the following reasons. Conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, won the strength out of weakness, and became mighty in war. Barak is mentioned for all these reasons. Guess who's not mentioned? Deborah. And we have to understand, though that's challenging, that the Bible itself was written in a patriarchal culture. And uh, there's other examples of this happening as well. If you recall in Luke, who are the first people who testify to the resurrection? Women. What's the response of the male is, uh, disciples after they come and they say, we've seen the risen Lord. You must be speaking nonsense, right? This happens in scripture. Despite this, Hebrew thirteen seven says this, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And what was the outcome of Deborah's life, of her faith? It was Faith emboldened leadership that, read, that led to peace and rest for 40 years in the land, and it was justice and prosperity for the people. So may we be a people that remembers leaders like Deborah and does not leave them out of the entirety of God's story and the implications that has for our life. Jail, we have to remember people like Jail, who's empowered as the solution herself to the impending injustice, defeating abuse and death in that time. So we're going to prepare to close in just a moment in a time of worship and response, and I'd like for us to consider uh, a couple different things. Men in the room, I think there's application, obviously, for all of us. We have to ask ourselves the hard question of what biases do we have personally? Where can we, or do we need to, release the privilege that's given to us by the society that we live in to allow women to be all that God created them to be? And where can we leverage the privilege that we've been given to do that very same thing? 
Uh, this can happen in all different ways, big and small. This can happen in our workplace. This can happen in the home. It can happen in ministry settings. It can happen in conversation. I was preparing for this sermon, talking through it with my wife, and she looked at me and she said, you know, mansplaining is a term for a reason. Let's start with ending mansplaining. Are you kidding me? Women in the room, where in the testimony of Deborah do you feel a connection or a dissonance to the bold faith that she had? As those called to be leaders in the kingdom of God, right? You're called to be leaders equally and at times even ahead of men. How is God calling you to be a solution to the injustices around you? Like the writers of Half the Sky advocate for. Too often, the church has failed to speak prophetically against a cultural paradigm that reinforces male superiority. We cannot be afraid to step fully into God's story that says all people, men and women alike, are created to be a part, a significant part of God's story. Let's pause and pray together as we prepare to worship. Lord, we recognize that your word both encourages and it challenges us. We have to be a people that postures ourselves humbly before you, listening for your voice to have any idea of the steps to take before us. Lord, thank you for the life of Deborah. Thank you for the ways in which you used her and jail to be the solution to injustice in their context. Lord, while questions remain and surround those texts, we recognize these central themes that you've brought us this morning. And we ask how, in our context, you would have us be the solution to injustice. Lord, we recognize the important role that both men and women throughout history and in our world today have played in your narrative. We ask, God, that you would empower us as people that do all that we can so that everyone is elevated to the position that you would have them be in, leading your people, the kingdom of God, to become a reality here on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. Convict us, guide us, give us hope, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.